Welcome to Raw Relationships, the podcast that keeps relationships real and wonderful. I'm Melissa, and I'm your host. Welcome, listeners. Tonight, we are interviewing Beverly Searle. She is an independent researcher of the mind, and she does studying of trauma and the resultant mental health problems. Her specialties are in post-traumatic stress and disorder, can't talk today, and anorexia, with a 95% success rate with 10 hours of therapy. This is unheard of in the mental health arena. It is time to assist those suffering and stop the suicide rates of our veterans and everyone else. So without further ado, let's welcome in Beverly. Welcome, Beverly. Thank you so much for joining me um, tonight on the podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. You're welcome. So tell us a little bit about what you do and, uh, and about you first to get us started here. Okay, I'm an independent researcher of the mind, a very rare breed, because all research lately is done by drug companies and universities and in the workplace, so there's no one paying me, this is my drive, my my passion, my work. And I've developed a, a process where you can change pictures in your mind, it's in a certain place in the mind called the limbic system, which is um, our, where our flight and flight goes. And it doesn't have a language. The limbic system is a fascinating part of the brain. It doesn't have language and it doesn't have time. So uh, when you're being traumatized, the picture, the event activates the flight-flight survival mechanism because our brains are geared for survival and sends the whole scenario of whatever's happened to you into the limbic system. So that when I use the example of a three-year-old, your big brother drops a hairy spider and you run around screaming. So that whole um, event is sent as a DVD into your limbic system and every time you see a spider, it triggers the reaction and all the, uh, of you running around screaming and you um, develop phobias and have panic attacks and scream at the sight of spiders. And the other interesting thing about the limbic system, it doesn't have a clock in there. So you can be scared of spiders at three and be 93 and still have the fear. And right. this will basically lead us into the conversation of post-traumatic stress, if you like to run with that way. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. So so tell us about what kind of people have uh, post-traumatic stress. I can't even talk. Post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> Your PTSD. Well, it always easier, used yeah. to... Yeah, it's easier. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, it always people you say to people about PTSD, they always seem to think, oh, that's the soldiers have that, mm-hmm. and then you say, oh, the police get it and the firemen get it, mm-hmm. you know, emergency services get it, but you realise anyone who's had any form of serious trauma, rape, continued bullying at, at in your workplace, bullying at school, all those sorts of things can cause PTSD. Right, right. So there's and a lot more people out there with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just limited to a certain certain um, 
demographic or anything like that. No. It can be anybody, really. So um, what are some symptoms of PTSD if somebody is maybe going around not really knowing that they, if they have it or not? What's, what's a good um, telltale sign that, that you're having? Well, they have triggers. Like uh, somebody will say, um, every time I feel, uh, smell that perfume, um, that reminds me of a nasty event what happened. Or um, a car backfires and you have the exaggerated startle effect, you know, uh, with the soldiers and that, they're back in the war when they hear a loud bang. So a lot right, of people so do avoidance. Yes, they do avoidance mm-hmm. things. Like I had a client who um, had a bad car accident in the hills or in the mountains when it was raining and he couldn't mm-hmm. drive when it was raining in the hills. Right. And he right. lived in the hills, so it made life a bit miserable for him. Mm-hmm. So because so, so that would they're the sort of things what happen. Mm-hmm. Right, and that would send them into into like a panic or a yes. anxiety, panic. right, where they yes. just can't handle it <laughs> to that point, yes. right? A lot of anger issues sometimes. And mm-hmm. the, the uh, partners of the person is affected by it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the person snaps and yells and screams for no reason and, and people, uh, wives, partners, children around on tippy toes, you know, mm-hmm. trying not to say or do anything what will trigger them off. Mm-hmm. So it makes it right. very difficult to live with sometimes live with somebody with uh, PTSD, especially the soldiers. They're back in the war, and um, it's very horrific for them. Yeah, which makes total sense. Um, What do you think, um, like my thoughts are always this. Um, Some people have it, and some people should have it but don't. Is that? Do you think the brain's wired differently for some people than it is for others? No, it's the it's the same mechanism. What it is is childhood resilience. So the studies have found that if you have a, a good childhood and you're respected and you're uh, for who you are and uh, you built in you have built in trust and really uh, resilience. In yourself, mm-hmm. when you get into a dangerous situation, you have more skills or you're more capable of coping with it. But mm-hmm. if you have a bad childhood and there's a lot of negativity in there and the person has low self-worth and there's a lot of um, adversity trauma, the, mm-hmm. uh, the person get, is most likely to develop uh, PTSD more because what happens with these sorts of disorders is they piggyback each other. So if you have mm-hmm. had lots of um, negativity trauma, that builds up. Mm-hmm. And the same, and because it's in the limbic system and you're working with ego states or subpersonalities, that it, it accumulates over mm-hmm. time and you don't have the coping mechanisms uh, as somebody who has had a good, resilient childhood, loved and... Right. Uh, so important to have a good childhood. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it sure is. I hear that. Um, the reason I ask is because I know myself um, with my own um, life and experiences, um, I've dealt with a few pretty traumatic events. 
Um, yes. But I seem to be okay. Uh, now, I, my childhood was horrible. Um, <laughs> well, I shouldn't say horrible. I mean, it could have been worse, but it wasn't. It was negative, and it wasn't yes. what what it could have been. Um, yes. But then, when I think about it, I think I do actually have triggers, but I just um, I seem to know how to deal with them rather than um, not like. Um, for instance, my my ex, the father of my first two kids, tried to kill me while I was sleeping. And for mm-hmm. the longest time, I couldn't sleep, um, or I would yes. sleep in the daytime. But yes. then I just kind of seemed to get over it. So what I guess what I'm wondering is, is that uh, it's just obviously that my resilience is a little bit higher than what it could be. The... The other thing is, I mean, it's terrible having these things happen to us, um, mm-hmm. and it is resilience. And um, what's happens is that I work with um, a subpersonality theory uh, from Azagioli. Um, he was it's called psychosynthesis. Psycho meaning the brain, and synthesis meaning the coming together of the brain, synthesizing it. And what happens is that up until the age of seven, with every time you experience anything new, a part comes out who takes that role or is a mood, and it's called the subpersonality. So you're creating them. So um, I use, again, the example, you're three and you get a little red tricycle, and the first time you put your leg over it, a spark goes off in your mind to hold your lived experience because the subpersonalities are holding all your lived experience. It's separate from the normal cognitive knowledge. So uh, every time you go back on that bike, this subpersonality says, oh, that's my job, and it comes forward, and it becomes stronger and stronger. So what may have happened with you is we have hundreds of these subpersonalities. Some of them uh, could be full of depression. Some can be, you know, your teacher, the, the wife, the one that loves hiking in the mountains, that sort of thing. But mm-hmm. some, being, being able to shift the ego state or subpersonality who experienced what you did mm-hmm. um, is something which you've probably done naturally, is that subpersonality who was married to that man uh, and the events has been able to not be triggered out or... Um, be active anymore because you're not in the situation again and your bravery of working through it and sleeping and getting over it is not to be underestimated as well. Right, yeah, and I guess I know for myself um, telling my story was a huge part of my healing, um, helping other people with my story so that they could, you know, get out of those kind of relationships and even though there may be a price to it, you still got to do it. <laughs> yes, yes. Because sometimes you're re-triggering yourself when you talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know yeah. what I find for myself is I find a lot of the times when I talk about it, it feels like a story I tell but that it may not even have really happened. So that's where I kind of wonder if I didn't just put a block up and say, you know, this happened, but it doesn't define me as a person. Yes. The um, It's called dissociation. Mm, um, okay. And women do it more than men. Now, dissociation right. means that you put it somewhere in your head. You've separated it and stored it somewhere in your head. 
and you can mm. put the emotions in one part of your brain and, and, you know, you can separate it all over your brain. That's called dissociation. When you tell, okay. ask a man uh, if they've got, you know, beaten up at work or somewhere, uh, where did you put the knowledge? And they say, I'll put it in a box in the back of my brain and put a brick on the door, close the mm. door onto it. Where, where they put the right. whole event where women kind of separate it and dissociate it around them in, in their mind. It's right, just the way our brains work. So what yeah. you've done by the sound of it is you've separated it somewhere and put it in your mind and kind of locked it away. Mm-hmm. As if it yeah. happened to somebody else and not you. Oh. Yeah, because it almost seems like, like I said, just like a story that I tell, you know, but mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like it it actually happened. But I do, um, every once in a while, I'll find certain things trigger me, um, yes. you know, but it's, I can control it. So I'm, yes. you know, That's cool. one example... Yeah, one example is um, he drove a, a semi-truck. So a lot of the time um, when I'm driving down my road, because I live out in the country, um, if a semi is coming up the road, I think of him and I think, oh, my God, I have to get off the road. Like, he's going to run me off the road. That's my thought. Yes. But I'm yes. able to say, don't think that way. You know, don't take the ditch. You're fine. It's not him. And, you know, everything's good. But that thought still, so that must be the kind of triggers that you're talking about, yes. right? And it, it's good. Mm. It's very good that you've been able to um, manage them and uh, be able to talk yourself through it so that you're not, mm-hmm. what you haven't got now is you haven't got that instant flight flight. You mm-hmm. put a separation yeah. to it. And you're being able yeah. to talk and reason yourself. But when people don't have the separation to it, like you've done, mm-hmm. it's an mm-hmm. instant. Like with uh, the, I'm saying with the spider, when you see a spider, that ac- mm-hmm. activates the flight-flight mechanism, which then in a millionth of a second sends the signal through to the, the limbic system saying, danger, danger, um, there's a spider here. A lot of people can never get past that because they've, it's a, an instant reaction, and that's where the soldiers and the uh, the armed forces and the uh, firemen and all those sorts of things, it seems to build up and build up and build up, and then there seems to be a, like a tipping point. They, they've learned to cope with it, and then they, they have too much too often. Right. Now, how do a lot of people with PTSD, how do they cope? Like if they're not seeking help, would they cope in other ways, like drugs, alcohol, that kind of thing? Can you repeat that? I've just had a, a huge um, rain come down on the roof. <laughs> oh, no I'll turn problem. my speakers up a bit. No okay. problem. I was, I was just wondering, how do people, um, do you find some people cope with the PTSD with things like drugs and alcohol if they're not yes. seeking help for it? Yes. The um, yeah. drugs and alcohol um, are painkillers. Mm-hmm. So they, they block it out with the pain with the, the drugs right. to try to block it out. But the trouble is it always comes back. Yeah, it's kind of a full circle kind of thing, right? It, yes. It does. Yes. It works for a little while, but then eventually he can't drink or do drugs all your whole life, right? <laughs> no, no. It's a pity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. uh, to have a nice glass of wine or something or go down the pub with your mates if you're a man and have a, you know, when they go overboard with it, it's very bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that I would think um, that could actually 
make the the fight or flight worse if you were triggered when you were under the influence. That probably would be horrifying. That would be a really bad experience. Yes, they tried to numb down the um, the trigger by the alcohol. But if you come or the drugs, but oh boy, if you get a bad trigger in that state, you'd have all your um, normal guards and and um, personality and beliefs which keep you in a, like the human state they'd just be out of control wouldn't they yeah yeah and i wonder if that <clears throat> wouldn't attest for for some crime that you know could be not not happening you know if if they're if they're say they're in the pub with their friends and and they hear what they think is a gunshot you know who's to say what's going to happen if they, yes. they could hurt someone not even knowing yes. right just reacting yes. And I think that's that's a lot of it. Is it's a very reactive. You, you go into a reactive state instead of responsive. <laughs> yes. Well, there was a movie that Sylvester Stallone uh, called Rambo. Rambo. R A M B O. And he was a Vietnam vet come back, and he got the trigger, and he thought he was back in Vietnam, and he he was out there fighting for his life, and that was what the whole movie was to try to. So that's exactly what happens to you because it's a flight flight. It's, you know, it's safe to save your life. You know, they come out fighting because mm-hmm. they think they're still in that situation and that um, see, it's the same if someone's been uh, beaten senseless as a child. You know, if they get beaten up, they're, they're out there because it triggers them off into the childhood. Mm-hmm. So, so um, how, how do you treat um, your clients that come to you? What is your... your um, like what what sort of programs do you guys offer for well, people? What I do is I've it's taken me because um, I had severe post traumatic stress and the, the doctor Sykes said to me um, I was when I was having horrendous flashbacks to you know the childhood from hell as a lot of us have and um, they said oh uh, you're a history you have history I've got also a form of dyslexia histrionic personality disorder. These things don't happen. You're just imagining and hooked into it. And I thought, boy, that they're a little bit old-fashioned, aren't they? That went out with Freud, and um, and then I started reading and realised I had post-traumatic stress. And um, I went to uni for nine years and got four degrees and studied and studied and studied. And my work is unique in the world. No one's done it before in the world. I've combined psychosynthesis with the latest trauma research and developed a nine-step formula which works on 95% of people. I have nearly 100%, but I, you know, I have to drop it down a bit. <laughs> so, And it, it's a formula that goes in, and what we're doing is we're accessing the limbic system where all this trauma is, and I use guided visualizations because the limbic system doesn't have a language. So right. you can talk about this and talk and talk and talk, and it helps you understand it. And like you say yourself, Talking about what happened to you helped a lot. Mm-hmm. And right. I found a way of taking the picture out of the, the pictures out of the limbic system. Like with the, I'm using use the example of the, the three-year-old with the hairy spider. Not mm-hmm. only do we take the pictures of the hairy spider out of your limbic system, but the part of you what was running around, which is called the subpersonality, that one is mm-hmm. healed. Mm-hmm. And um, and because the limbic system's the emotional seat of the brain, once the emotions go around uh, an event, it doesn't trigger anymore. 
because right. the cognitive part of the brain, the thinking part says, oh, yes, I was beaten senseless or I watched my father try to kill my mother, those sorts mm-hmm. of things. But I can say it now because I'm not in the emotion with it. And right. this, this is the beauty of my work. Uh, I've just finished um, uh, research with a PhD student from America and we've proved beyond doubt that 10 hours of therapy, you can alleviate PTSD and bring depression, anxiety, and stress down to within the normal range. Wow. And uh, which is, we're just going to get, we only finished that writing the article last week. So it's mm-hmm. uh, exciting for us to, we're going to go to the defense forces and places and um, uh, spread go on programs and that let people realize it can be done we have a a self-help kit we have a kit where you can come onto the website and you can do it on your own with email support so um and my um website is called my my envisioned mind Okay. So Perfect. Just, I'll put that in the description as well for our listeners yep. to to go there. And we have a free ebook there. So if they come when they come onto the website, if they can't download, there's an ebook on PTSD. There's one on eating disorders and depression, and uh, there's quite a few there. If they come on and just say you'd like a free ebook and give the uh, the title of what you want, we'll send you a free ebook on it and it'll explain it and how we work. Oh, perfect, perfect. And then they can kind of get a get a glimpse into it before they they sign up for the actual treatment. That would be awesome. Now, yes. I know you are in Australia. Do you you offer your services worldwide? So that's like right. That's through email support. Okay. Perfect. Now you did and talk post touch post on. Post post yeah, I do. I do um, counseling all over the world with Skype. Okay, perfect. So, yeah, so it doesn't matter where you are. That's awesome. No, Skype doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the best thing in the world, I tell you. Now, you talked about anorexia. I just want to touch on that quick, too, before we, we let you get back to your busy schedule. Um, anorexia, you deal with, I'm assuming you have somewhat the same formula, the same, the same yes. steps to, do, to deal with that as yes. well. Yes, awesome. it's exactly the same steps. It's a mm-hmm. nine-step formula, but then depending, which go in, in into the subconscious mind and you follow it. But okay. every, there's like a kit for all these ones or you can ha- uh, on the inter- on the web plus seeing me because it's the same formula because everyone's okay. brain works the same. But then right. I have a work and everything that says anorexia or PTSD and then that specifically takes you through that disorder. Okay. So tell us a bit about anorexia and why you find most people have it. Well, anorexia is um, unusual because, I mean, all they have to do is eat. You know, it must mm-hmm. be so frustrating for parents and siblings and that of somebody in the family who um, has it and just refuses to eat. It's, mm-hmm. it's um, all about control. Mm. So I had a, a 16-year-old from America who said she had very, um, I find most of them are like sensitive people who are artistic and mm-hmm. um, she was always an anxious child. And then at oh. 14, something happened and she said 
things got out of control in her life and she she was very proud that the fact that she could control her eating it was the only thing she could control in her life oh, okay. and that's what it's all about mm. and um the, i always kind of thought it had something to do with like their body you know their their how they felt about their themselves it's not really about body image uh mm-hmm. The, the trouble is that there's um, a book out there from Patrick Holford who has written a book called Optimal Nutrition of the Mind. He says what comes first, the um, the di- heavy dieting or the anorexia? Because mm-hmm. when you diet, you're lacking the nutrition. Mm-hmm. And this um, lacking zinc, which is a lot of teenagers are lacking because they need it in their development, mm-hmm. uh, that has exactly the same... Um, symptoms as anorexia does. Oh, so one okay. of the first things, yes. So one of the first things, if you've got a teenager or somebody with eating, you know, the heavy dieting, and you think going into anorexia, is that you need to get zinc into them, and you can oh. get a liquid zinc with no calories. So um, you can inc- encourage them to have that, but it, it triggers off the control issues in childhood, and I found that. Most of the ones who, like my very first clients, I was running depression, anxiety, stress workshops for women and they had all different disorders. And one of them came up afterwards and said, would you meet with my niece? She's just come out of hospital. She's had anorexia since she's 14 and she's now 32. And I said, look, I I don't know anything about the disorder. I haven't read a book, nothing. And Mm -hmm. she said, well, everyone here, you know, they've got, uh, borderline personality disorder, they've got bipolar, they've got depression, everyone here, they're all getting well regardless of what the disorder is. So please, would you go and see her? So I did. The lady asked, you know, got her address, and I went and knocked on the door because I was still at uni then and I didn't have premises. And we sat at her kitchen table and I said to her, um, uh, tell me about your anorexia. Because I went in without any preconceived notions. And she said, I get hungry and I go to the fridge and um, or the, and the voice in the head tells me I'm not allowed, I'm not allowed to eat. Oh, okay. And that voice is so strong, I cannot eat. Mm-hmm. And I find that most people with anorexia have a voice in the head controlling them. And it's mm-hmm. normally a subpersonality or ego state. Um, controlling it. But something happened, a lot of the time it's about three. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very powerful time for little girls, um, a three, three uh, and boys. They're separating from their parent up until that age. They believe they're, they're their mother. So they're doing a separation and another brainwave pattern comes in. So there's two things happening at the same time. And that's where we get the terrible twos, you know, the stamping of the feet and the lovely word no they find. So the that's what's – if something happens there, and in this case we know it happened there because once you get the steps in, the first four steps is making your mind safe and happy. And the next step is meeting and healing your subpersonality. So when we went – and it's a visualization and I guide them through the whole process. It's very gentle. You don't have to talk about what's happened to you whatsoever because we're working in the limbic system. It has no language. So right. the um, so when she went to meet 
the part of her who was the anorexia. She, um, it was a three-year-old. Oh, okay. And the three-year-old said, you can talk to them because they're in your head. They're like a holograph. You can communicate with them. And she said, I have to control her. I'm not going to, I, that's my role. I have to control her. Right. So the only event we could think what happened with uh, this woman, and it's in my anorexia book, is that her father was um, a verbally violent man. Oh, okay. And we believe she stood up and said no, and he would have gone her. Because mm-hmm. I knew the auntie and the uncle, and the uncle said to me, he's a scary man now, and he's calmed down. So right. <laughs> uh, yeah. the only thing we think, like she challenged him, something happened, and they had, she had to learn to control, not ever to spark his anger again. But I saw right. her, uh, usually um, under 10 hours, a person is well. Mm-hmm. So, and when you consider that the uh, what's happening in the uh, hospitals and in the counselling, some of them have it. For, well, this girl had it from 14 to 32, and within three months she was well with my work. Never had any issue after that. And she'd been in and out of hospitals, seeing psychologists, psychiatrists, you name it. She'd been doing everything. So the, well, you know what I do, what I find with the psych, like not to knock a psychiatrist at all, but um, I know for myself back, I want to say just about 10 years ago, I was married um, to my first husband and I kept feeling that um, he was cheating on me. That's what I, I kept thinking it. And it was like this voice yes. in my head. And I asked him and he said, no, 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 I would never do that. And so I finally, because I thought I was going crazy, um, I yes. went to a psychologist and the first thing they did was throw me on a bunch of drugs. And I think that's exactly what they um, diagnosed me with, was some kind of personality disorder. And they put me on um depression drugs and something else I can't even Risperdal I think was the name of it Um, and for a whole year I had no thoughts I had no feeling I laid on the couch I gained 100 pounds and I actually felt depressed then (laughs) the drugs are horrible yeah and then I found out um, a year later that he was cheating on me so it was my intuition or something was telling me you know that something wasn't right and I wasn't listening to it Um, but they didn't at all think about that they just said well this is we don't know what to do with you so here's some drugs Ah. (laughs) you know and I trusted them ah yes this is a trouble to either the wrong thing you did was you told them you had a voice in the head telling you Mm -hmm. yeah I I say my client do not tell your psychiatrist that you have a voice in your head because mm-hmm. the moment you say that, they say schizophrenia or bipolar or a borderline personality mm-hmm. disorder. But yeah. uh, most, do you know that 60% of the, the world, because, you know, I deal with voices in the head. Uh, when, when this lady said to me, um, I have this voice in the head, I thought, oh, this is okay. I can help this girl because I, I was specializing mm-hmm. in voices in the head with trauma and dissociation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, and I, you know, I've been studying it. 60% of the world have voices in the head. Mm-hmm. It's normal. So it's pretty normal. And yeah, now this, exactly. yeah, it's when the voices get argumentative, abusive, uh, right. taking over your life when, when you have the, the big troubles. 
Yeah, like if if your voices are telling you you're worthless and you should kill yeah. yourself, that's not good. <laughs> well, the, the fascinating thing with my work is that once you've got your mind safe and happy, we can actually go and ask to meet the voice. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what we did with this this woman. She had a three-year-old. But when you say, where's the voice? They'll say, oh, there's my ex-partner. He's in my head yelling at me and doing such a... And when you mm-hmm. evict them out of your head, because... When your mind is safe and happy, the first thing we do is it's a beautiful, you have a retreat, which is a beautiful place to live. But then the, the first thing we do after that is you put a fence around them with a gate, mm-hmm. a high it's fence, you know, two yeah. meters high. Uh, and the gate has a security, like a pin number or your thumbprint or something. So you're the only one who can go in and out of the, your mind. So when mm-hmm. you go in there and there's um, the exes there or the bullies from school, because te- I have a technique to find them, you mm-hmm. evict them out of your mind and the voices stop. Because mm-hmm. yeah. they're in your mind yeah. doing it. And because it's trauma, mm-hmm. they're in the limbic system, in a picture yeah. form. Isn't the mind fascinating? <laughs> mm-hmm. It sure is. It sure is. I, 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 every day I, that's why I do this. Um, podcast is because I just that's what keeps me going every day is just wondering why people do what they do and you know how they why they think how they think what you know it, it fascinates me as to us humans and how we work <laughs> it, it, the unfortunate thing is that the, your personality is formed by seven mm-hmm. so if you've got trauma and abuse and you know the emotional neglect is a trauma. So the um, those sorts of things. But the beauty of my work, my envisioned mind, I'll have a plug, is that you can go in and you can literally reparent yourself. You take out the bad parents if you want to and put in a good nurturing mother. Because nothing is set in your mind in concrete. Yeah. Nothing is set yeah. there permanently. It's neurons firing. And having this technique where you can go in and... And because it's in the limbic system, it's in a picture form. By changing the picture, evicting the nasties, putting in the good things, mm-hmm. that your whole body changes and you feel better because you have so much peace in, in you. And mm-hmm. uh, because you don't have to talk about it, you don't have to abreact. I have a, a list, you know, um, my in, for intake is what are your hobbies, work, etc. Uh, yeah. And then it, um, any trauma, and I just go through certain age groups so that we, I know what sort of trauma people right. have had, but that, that's the closest we get. Because mm-hmm. so I've, I've worked with people who said, um, I don't want to say anything about this. And I said, okay, give it a number or yeah. uh, just word. And they'll say now, and I'll say, well, right, what's the word that represents which would, will know they'll say or give me a word and then I say now we're going to work with say it's um, a cat okay now we're going to work around the issues of the cat which you don't want to discuss or or at all so I take them through the process and I I don't ever have to know what's happened to them Mm -hmm. because they're working through the process with it they go through the healing process they evict anything nasty or horrible they put all the nurturing, loving things back in their mind, and that solves the problem. Nice. Simple as that. Well, I think, yeah, I think it's, it sounds it sounds just awesome and, like, 
something that people should definitely look into if they're struggling because it's I know myself just dealing with trauma not actually dealing with PTSD or maybe I do in a in a in a very um, minimal form but um, I think you know if you can find something that will help especially you know something in 10 weeks you don't have to live with it forever like no, it's something no, I can no. fix so the, I definitely um, yeah yes the um the kids was uh, we're in beta stage uh, on the computer and we're still getting it all up and running correctly we're selling the kits for forty dollars so oh, nice. that, so it has the first five steps and with those five steps you can get mostly yourself well and if you have complex needs, then we can give you one-on-one counselling. So for $40, yes. you're going to rid yourself of these issues. Yeah, and, it's cheaper than any prescription the, the psychiatrist no. is going to give you. <laughs> <laughs> or the, like in the um, anorexia hospitals, they're charging a minimum of $1,500 a day oh, wow. for you to go into those hospitals. And sometimes they stay anything from three months to nine months. And a lot of oh, them are still aren't well. Yeah. So horrendous. Yeah, well, they're, yeah, they're just money. learning other ways, probably too, right? Like it doesn't doesn't seem um, to me. It doesn't seem like if you put a bunch of people that have the same kind of issues together, you know, it doesn't seem very healing, in my opinion, in some way, no, shape, or form, right? The, yeah, the other thing they do is there's a movie out called To the Bone, which uh, they brought out about anorexia and, and eating disorders. And what they do there is they teach people to ignore the voice. Mm-hmm. They do not address the voice. Now, the the voice is what's controlling them, and that's mm-hmm. an ego state or a subpersonality. So they train them to eat. They basically force them to eat. There's yeah. one girl here, yeah. she's just turned 19 and she's had 32 visits in four years in the children's section of one of the hospitals here. And they literally fatten her up, they get her to a certain weight, she learns to knit, she has a, uh, does jigsaw puzzles and things like that and has a little bit of mindfulness. They send her home and then she stops eating and she goes below a certain weight so she's back in the hospital. Can you imagine 32 visits in four years? Yeah. Because they ignore the voice. Now, the yeah. voice is the thing which is causing it. Yeah. So well, that's just what I address. Sense. You address the voice. Mm-hmm. The voice goes away. Yeah. Or the voice yeah, is healed. Yeah. 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 You have to get to the root of the problem, right? <laughs> yes. Now, the, the horrible thing, the heartbreaking thing about anorexia also, if they ignore the voice and they force themselves to eat, which is what these hospitals are doing, mm-hmm. um, there's a high percentage of them uh, turning into alcoholics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or bulimia. Because, just throwing yes. it up instead of, yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's like, it's different bulimia and anorexia. So what happens is by, ignore, by ignoring the voice, the voice is a part of you. And when it's, it's your control part, and that mm-hmm. gets out of control because it can't control you anymore. So yeah. it, 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 it drinks or gets into drugs. Right, right. So yeah. they're only giving one disorder into another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trading it off for, for one that's not any better, that's for sure, especially if somebody's, you know, really anorexic, then they'd have damage to their their organs, which oh, adds yes. a little bit of booze on top of that, and then you're in big trouble. <laughs> yes, 
Yes. The um, in America there's three million with a disorder, in England there's two million, and ten percent of those will die. It's the highest death rate for any disorder, and they're failing. The psychiatry medical model has failed with them. It's the same with PTSD. Why are these soldiers still killing themselves? You know, mm-hmm. in America, there's 20 soldiers a day commit suicide. Wow. So yeah. it's, it's heartbreaking for their families and for the people around them, you know, their friends, um, and that they can get well. And this is the message I'm getting out to the world now, is you can get well. I have absolute proof under a PhD um, student in a university where we've done it under the full uh, evidence-based criteria of universities we've proved it before um, I'd have case studies and I'd offer help and they say we you can't come here and help because you haven't got evidence base mm-hmm. so I, I took a year and I got the evidence base because I'm absolutely committed to helping people get well yeah good for you good for you well I definitely appreciate um, your message and appreciate having you on the podcast and, and helping people because I think it's very important what you do and uh, I definitely will uh, promote it on my end as well. Right, thank you. Thank you for all that. Every bit helps. That was another great interview as always. If you would like to find me, you can find me on my Facebook page which is Raw Relationships. I also have a group on Facebook called Raw Relationships. This is a group where you can ask for advice and just get support from everyone in the group on everything relationships. Relationships with others as well as relationships with ourselves. Again, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to my podcast And I look forward to bringing you many more great interviews from experts all over the world.